I don't know about you, but this week my soul needs to hear again what idealism feels like, what hope sounds like. And nothing makes me feel more hopeful than hearing young people talk about the world they're living and fighting for. There's so many of them out there right now who still believe that we can not only be fixed, but made anew. And so I want to believe too. This show, you'll hear from some of them. And I hope these conversations are as healing for you as they are for me. I'm Tanya Moslian. And so is this episode of Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. I really need your help. I need your help. I need your help. What were you doing when you were 10 years old, or 19, or maybe 24, or even 30? Today, we're going to hear from people of all of those age groups out here changing the world and thinking deeply about everything from equitable farming to the end of urban oil drilling. We're going to hear from people like YouTube star Alex Iono, Amanda Gorman, the U.S.'s first Youth Poet Laureate, and South Central L.A. environmental justice activist Nayeli Kobo. All three, by the way, who want to run for president. Let's start with Tony De La Rosa. He's a Filipino activist, poet, and director of Teach for America in Miami, Florida. Kamusta kapo? My name is Tony De La Rosa. I go by he, they, shop pronouns. I'm hella Filipinx American. I'm 31 years old. I coach teachers, build partnerships with school districts, and uh, we do this on Tequesta, Taino, and Seminole land. Before I begin to talk about the world that I'm fighting for, I kind of want to start off with this poem I wrote recently. It's called Isang Bagsak as Verb, which translates to solidarity in action. Isang Bagsak as Verb. Isang Bagsak as Verb in Tagalog translated as unity as verb, unity as action across lines of difference, across lines of passion. The word of equal parts, resilience and resistance, a word beginning with our ancestor and re-sister Gabriela Silong, a freedom fighter who mobilized 2,000 men from different Filipino tribes of Ilocos to lead a unified clapback against the Spanish in the 1700s. Isang Baksak as verb was the clapback against a dictator during the anti-martial law movement, it was the clapback that echoed across the sea, invoked by Larry, Itleon, Philip Veracruz, Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez, and a legacy of Mexican and Filipino farm workers in the 1960s who fought for a piece of a crop and broke bread, even though language served as a wall instead. But you know immigrant resilience, be butterfly at a chrysalis with no bounds and with one round of isang baksak, meaning one clap, one fall. One voice, we rise tall, we made noise of bridge builders as Asian and Latinx communities crafted a creation myth of cross-coalition against Olympic and seismic oppression. That ending noise out of a void speaking volumes with Capua, interconnectedness, and for la cultura, the culture. So a world that I'm fighting for is for a world that has systemic and interpersonal solidarity in action. Growing up in San Diego, California, I didn't see myself, Filipino Americans, Filipino AX Americans, 
and Asian American broadly reflected in the curriculum. Moving to in middle school to Ohio, I didn't see myself reflected in the curriculum. Moving to Indianapolis, I didn't see myself in the curriculum when I taught. And then when I moved to Boston to go to grad school at Harvard, that's the first time I saw myself in the curriculum. Taking an ethnic studies graduate course exposed me to these cross-coalitional movements, right, including our voices. So today I'm fighting for our voice, being unapologetically in the curriculum. And I want to make sure that we're not omitted from the conversation. Because when we're omitted from the conversation, we are still fighting the same battles for the model minority myth. We're still fighting the same battles of lack of representation, of lack of resources, right? A, a lack of radical imagination templates for us to see ourselves as the leaders we were born to be. So I'm fighting for Isang Baksak as a verb, right? Today, I will be fighting tomorrow, and as, as long as I live, essentially. Tony De La Rosa is an educator and poet in Miami. Okay, I want to introduce you to 28-year-old Jelani Anglin. He's the co-founder and CEO of Good Call NYC. It's an emergency arrest hotline that connects people who are in police custody to free legal help, and it alerts loved ones of their arrest. And that number, because I know Jelani wants you to memorize it, is one good call That's one good call And we'll have that number again at the end of my conversation. Jelani, welcome to Truth Be Told. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. So you co-founded Good Call in 2016. How did you discover that this was a need? So I grew up here in New York City. And of course, I'm a young Black male. At the wrong place, wrong time, I got arrested. Far too often, that's a story that many young Black males have had. Um, And if they don't, then a relative or someone they know has that story. But that wasn't the core point that drove me. It was working in technology. Um, I had a chance to work at a tech company, and I was able to see how technology was being utilized to make the world smaller, but it wasn't helping my community. Then I joined an incubator and we you know, were able to focus around creating technology for communities that were facing issues and thinking about how we actually were going to, to combat those. We then interviewed many folks that spoke about problems with policing and that was really the starting point where we were able to go into a deep dive, talk to folks about their, their problems with the policing system and figure out how we could create technology to actually connect folks to lawyers at that point of arrest to make sure that folks had representation. Because we heard oftentimes folks had no idea what to do at that point of arrest. And oftentimes that led to people being interrogated without having legal representation and them signing statements, which ended up to them losing their freedom. So we said, you know, aha, that's our point where we can actually connect technology to folks. So through our hotline today, the way it works is you call our hotline. The first person that picks up is an attorney. That attorney will invoke your rights, tell you not to say anything to the police, tell the police not to question you, and then we'll get started on your case right away. Uh, We have a whole time of under a minute, 32 seconds, actually. Wow. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, we often hear or, or see in the movies that you only have one call when you've been arrested. I mean, it's why this one call is really important. 
that call is so important. And oftentimes your phone is taken away. You are only given the opportunity to call the numbers that you remember. So many times people call a significant other or their mother or their father or a relative, whoever they know that they could depend on. But what we see happening is that many times those folks aren't around at 2, 3 a.m. Uh, when people are arrested. And if they are, do they know a criminal attorney that can get started on the case right away? So that's why with Good Call, we even say that if you don't remember our number, you can have a friend or a relative, you know, call on your behalf. Jelani, what what drives you? I know that you had this run in with the law when you were a teenager, um, but you could have very easily gone to college, gotten a degree, got a corporate job and been living the life right now. What What is it that, that really motivates you to do this? The funny thing is I went to college, I got the degree, uh, worked in tech at Airbnb for a bit, and I knew that that wasn't how I wanted to actually make my community better. What I saw was technology being utilized in my communities, but not actually pushing my community forward. This was actually during the time of Eric Gardner that I, I got to working on this because it was a time where I was able to figure out how I can utilize my experiences of understanding my communities and the things that my communities are plagued with and uh, the folks that I know within my communities and pushing us or putting us at, at, at seat of the table with engineers that are able to actually develop technology that can help us make change. And that was exciting for me. Um, the opportunity to actually make change for future generations is what I wanted. I think that easily uh, many times folks that are from underserved communities go off and think about how they can get rich and forget about the things they went through. But I think about legacy and also how I can create a path for others. I grew up in Far Rockaway. I want another young man from Far Rockaway to be able to say, hey, I can do this. Jelani, what is the future, the world that you're fighting for? I think I can only think about this simply. I'm fighting for a world where Black lives are valued. I'm fighting for a world that understands that our unalienable rights, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, right? <laughs> um, are for everybody and not just for uh, a certain few. I'm fighting for a world where the goodness in humanity is acknowledged and it's celebrated. It's not at a point of scarcity. I'm fighting for a world where we can look towards our neighbors and know that they are folks that even if they are in their differences, we can respect each other, we can love one another, and we can, you know, still grow and make a better future for our sons and our daughters. That's the world that I'm fighting for. I think we are in a place where right now we have to think about what's important to us. And if we want to get to that destination of change, we have to be the vehicles to get there. Mm. There's no other way. So, yeah, I think that's the world that I'm, I'm fighting for. And I'm right there with you, Jelani. Thank you so much for this conversation. Appreciate you. 
Jelani Anglin is the CEO of Good Call NYC. That's one eight triple three good call My name is Ava. I'm 14 years old, currently living in Shenzhen, China. The world I'm fighting for is one where people think for themselves and their voices are heard. What do you do to sustain yourself when you live in a food desert? Leah Pinneman decided to use her skills as a farm worker to bring sustenance to not only her family, but her community. We asked her to read from her recent essay in Harper's Bazaar called, To Free Ourselves, We Must Feed Ourselves. Greetings, peace and blessings. My name is Leah Penniman, and I am the farm manager and founding co-director of Soulfire Farm, Mohican Territory, Grafton, New York. As a mother, I know of no greater yearning than the sacred imperative to feed my children. When Emmett was a newborn and Nishima just two, my partner Jonah and I moved to the south end of Albany, New York, a neighborhood deemed a food desert by the federal government due to the paucity of grocery stores and high poverty rates. I prefer the term food apartheid, which indicates that the vast swaths of this nation where people of color disproportionately suffer from hunger, diabetes, and heart disease are human-created outcomes of systemic racism, not natural phenomena. We struggled to feed our kids fresh produce, not for lack of effort, but because there were no accessible grocery stores, farmers markets, or community garden plots in our area, and no public transportation. We applied for assistance under the SNAP and WIC program, which provides federal grants for food. But when I attempt to redeem my check at the corner store to purchase milk and eggs, the customer behind me spat on my shoes for holding up the line. The only way we could get greens and tomatoes was to join a costly, community-supported agriculture program with a pickup two miles from our home. Each week, we packed up the kids and made the long trek on foot. There was a cruel irony to the fact that Jonah and I had been laboring as farm workers since we were teenagers, but couldn't afford those crops for our own table. According to the 2015 U.S. Department of Agriculture data, almost 40 million Americans live in food deserts where they cannot access or afford the life-giving foods that make us whole. When our neighbors learned that we were seasoned growers, they asked, why not start a farm for us, a farm for the people? Soulfire Farm began in 2010 from the collective desire of black and brown families to feed ourselves. We established a vegetable and egg delivery program that allowed members to choose how much to pay, as well as a home garden program that provides lumber, soil, plants, seeds, and mentorship to those interested in cultivating their own food. When the horizon looks bleak, I call to mind my ancestral grandmothers who hid away their seeds of okra, cowpea, millet, and black rice in their braids before being forced onto transatlantic slave ships. Their deep yearning was to have the means to feed their own children. If they, in those unimaginable circumstances, had the audacious hope to set aside some seeds for me, who am I to give up on my own descendants? How could I not plant these seeds for all our children. Leah Pinneman is the co-director and founder of Soul Fire Farm. You can read her full essay in the November issue of Harper's Bazaar.
All right, I'm going to be real. When I was 10 years old, I was playing with Barbies and begging my mom to let me stay up late to watch Falcon Crest. Well, 10-year-old Althea Goss is thinking much bigger thoughts as a member of Radical Monarchs, an activist organization for girls. My name is Althea Goss, and I'm 10 years old. When I grow up, I want to be an astrophysicist. I'm also very passionate about drawing. Right now, I see political leaders messing up. There's a virus killing people all over the world. There's extreme weather and fires. I see kids taking to the streets to fight for justice because we have no choice. I'm fighting for a world where people of color don't need to work twice as hard to be seen as less than equal. I'm fighting for a world where we will have a future that will not be filled with floods, hurricanes, and fires. I'm fighting for a world where we can heal from white supremacy and colonialism. I first met 24-year-old Alex Iono when he asked me to be on his podcast, Let's Get Into It. And since then, I've been following him on Instagram. And honestly, he makes me have so much hope for the future. As you just heard, Alex is a musician, an actor, a podcast host, And he's also really grounded by his faith and his curiosity in the world. It really is a beautiful thing to see. We started our conversation talking about his new album, The Gospel at 23, which recently came out. And I asked him what it was like coming out with his work in the middle of a pandemic. I think as a musician, you always want to release it on on the quietest moment so that you can make as much noise as possible and you Mm -hmm. stand out. And when you're in the middle of... Uh, of pandemics and racial injustice and elections and campaigns and and legends dying and all of this madness that's happening, you almost feel like, man, I don't want to put something out that, especially when it's your debut album, especially when it's things that are important to you. I just got to the point where I said, you know what, whoever needs to hear this album, whoever needs to hear Good Morning or The Medicine or any of the songs on the album, It's going to reach them eventually, even if it's not the big release week where it sells a million first week and I become the biggest star of all time off the bat. Or if it's a slow burn and it becomes, you know, it becomes an iconic piece, even if that's just for me and my mom. Mm, I love that. Why did you want to make an album rooted in gospel music? I don't even think I meant to. I'm not even going to (laughs) lie. Really? Like, Like, I... When we started writing this record, I had one goal, and it was the goal of a 23-year-old man who was raised in a small community of, of a very tight-knit community that was based in religion and, and um, all of the things that came with that. And I think I, I was always very afraid from when I moved out to Los Angeles at 15 to being 23 years old that I ever revealed who I currently am or where I currently stand, even if it's against the community or the way that I was brought up or what my family believes or what my, you know, my grandparents, I was always nervous about, well, what if they hear it and then they'll think differently of me? 
I hit a point where I said, you know what, this album, even if I never release it, I need to at least write and put together an album that is that is unapologetically unfiltered, unabridged, mm. just raw me. Mm. And and that was where it started. The gospel aspect of it, I think, goes all the way back to when I was a kid. You know, my my dad, I, I grew up listening to everything from from uh, the Beatles to Michael Jackson to Stevie Wonder. Uh, but my father specifically loved Smokey Norfolk. Like, mm. like mm-hmm. I Need You Now is is embedded in my skin. Growing up, then I got into Kirk Franklin because I was raised Mormon and the music is very reverent. Uh, and so getting to listen, I'm like, man, you can you can like worship and be like hyped. Like right. you can worship and be dancing <laughs> exactly. and jumping. Yep. As a kid, I always thought that was just incredible. I thought it was so cool. And so it was it's something that I've I've always naturally gravitated towards. Every Sunday morning when I'm cleaning my kitchen, I uh, I listen. I listen to gospel music and it's and that's just something that I've always I've always You're had like in a me. black grandma there. Sunday morning <laughs> cleaning the house, listening I'm to like, gospel music. I just want to <laughs> praise you. Mm. Okay, forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, no, I think the thing is, is it's as a part of who I am and what I've kind of hit a little bit because I've always wanted from, you know, from starting my social media platforms to building a following, I always was afraid of of others' opinions. And I, I'd never wanted to make anybody mad or, or make anybody disagree with what I did. And, and that not only is in the gospel music or in telling my truth, but it's also in like where we are now in politics. Like I never talked about politics, even though I had beliefs and I had thoughts and I knew where I stood on specific things because I didn't want to piss anybody off. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, I cared too much about what other people thought. I cared too much about how many followers I had. And so this whole album, I'm sorry, it was a massive answer for your, for your question. I love it. This whole album was about me being the truest, most raw version of me. And so I think naturally, sound-wise, I gravitated towards gospel music because it's always been an anchor in my life. It's always been a staple piece of who I am, even though I never really put it out there. Yeah. Is there a, a specific song? I know you probably love all the songs and they speak to who you are, but is there one song on the album that really speaks to maybe this moment? And you mm. or you? There's a song on the album called Rolling Rain. And Rolling Rain kind of sounds like a breakup song. And it's talking about the lead line in the song is like, why do I try when I can't hold you in my hands? You're rolling rain. So why do I try when I can't hold you in my hands? Rolling rain. A lot of people think it's like about, you know, about a relationship or about a breakup, but I I actually wrote the song about mental health and my mental health specifically. I swore these feelings were dead, dead. So why haven't I buried them yet? Sinking in this mess But what did I expect? What did I expect? I couldn't let you go So this is what I get I wanted to write that song to remind myself specifically of 
the the balance of life that there is a you know a, a one day you're great and the other day you're you're not great and that song specifically what I wrote in a darker place where I said why am I even trying when I can't hold you in my hands when I can't even like keep you with me and I thought that I could but I rem every time I'm down I say to myself like dude what's the point of even trying to be happy when you can't guarantee that you're gonna that it's gonna last for longer than one moment and so that song to me always is important especially now where we're dealing with everything in real yeah. time yeah it's very important that while we're trying to band arms together as humanity and fight for each other and love each other it's gotta start and I, it's cliche but it's gotta start with taking care of yourself you can't help other people you can't stand out for other people unless you're really tending to what you need as a person what i'm really really so taken by with you is just how you lay yourself bare um but it's for the benefit of all of us and i'm just thinking about young people specifically because mm. i'm thinking about myself at 24 if there was an Instagram back then and if there was an Alex Iono and I was seeing you post what you post and listening to your work, your music and your podcast, I mean, I think it would actually give me um, the strength and maybe the bravery to, to stand in my own truth. Oh. Do you feel that way about sharing yourself? Are your DMs blowing up with people who are saying like, thank you, Alex, I was thinking or feeling this way and now because of you, I can act on it. I think that that is, uh, it's imperative to, to my process because it, like you'd mentioned, like it's scary. Like it's, it's, it is nerve wracking. I don't, I'm not trying to be a, um, a martyr or anything for it, but like it is scary putting yourself out there and saying, yeah. hey, I'm really struggling. I'm really not okay right now. And for the longest time, I would just stomach that. And I think it's imperative to the process of continuing to do that, that you get those DMs or that you get Tanya's in your life or you get, you know, my team behind me that's saying, I know it's scary, but just keep, you're just, you're almost, hmm. you're almost there. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're just, just don't stop. Keep fighting, keep going. What is the world that you're fighting for? What is the world that I'm fighting for? I think that there is a inequality in in so many ways, but I think there is an inequality in love, and I think that. Ooh, say I more. Think that, what do you mean by that? I think that everybody wants to help other people until it gets to a point where they have to dilute something of themselves, hmm. and I don't think that that's as much love as we need to actually have. Hmm. You know, I look at. Take this election, for example. I know that if I vote for Joe Biden, I know my taxes are not going to be as light as if I were to vote for a Republican candidate. But I love other people. And I think that we need to have that level of love for other people, an equal level of love for every other person that says, I know I'm going to take a hit, but I'm at a place of privilege so that my hit is going to help other people and make me feel a little bit better. It's about thinking and about the collective instead of the individual. I remember reading or seeing or hearing something that was talking about how America is such an independent, you know, it's such an independent, everybody's, you're free mm -hmm. to think and feel how you need to. And it kind of has developed a very 
individualistic mindset and no collective thought process at all. That's not the world that I would ideally live in. Yeah, yeah. So the future and the world that you're fighting for is one where we are caring more for each other. We're actually thinking more collectively and not individualistically. And yeah, I mean, I I love that world. I mean, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oof. I think about all of the things that I've gotten. I've been so lucky to to experience in my life in the last 10 years from when I moved from Arizona to Los Angeles. And so here I am thinking, wow, if I get to start that over again and I'm starting from even a better place to start at, what could I like what could I do? The sky is the limit. And so I think, you know, I'm 34. Uh, I'm one year away from running for president. Um, <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's not is true. A, I'm actually, yeah, go ahead, um, continue. I think it's 35. I don't know. I, I, I mm-hmm. think so. Let's see if Mrs. Mrs. Reed, my history teacher from seventh grade, taught me correctly. Um, but uh, but I think to me, it's, it is all about continuing to fight for that world that I want to live in. And I think if I'm doing everything right, then at I'm just at least even an inch closer to that world in 10 years. That, and that's okay with me. Alex Iono, YouTube star, musician, podcast host, actor. You're going to be like the next Oprah, too, if you want to. That's how I feel about you. <laughs> I don't you. think they'll, I, I, I don't think they'll ever be another Oprah. Yeah, um, they're just going to be an Alex. Right, they'll uh, be an Alex. I, it, again, where, wherever the good Lord takes me for the next, you know, 10 years for the rest of my life, um, I'm, I'm happy to keep doing that. And if, I, if it means I get to do what I love, that's, that's perfect to me. So get up and wash all your fears away. We got a world to change You know a drop can start away It's never too late See the beauty in simple things All the hope that a sunrise brings You can see it in everything If you just get up My name is Amanda Gorman. I am 22 years old, and I am the inaugural Youth Poet Laureate of the United States of America. I think uh, social inclination fuels my work as an artivist to mesh social justice concerns with the type of weaponry that poetry presents. And so with my writing, I'm always asking myself not only is this a good poem, but is this poem doing good? I don't want to just write, I want to do right as well. The unabated. We are here, holler all the black girls. Us, dark daughters in a long chain of silence. Hope flocks to the poet like female ants rallying around their queen. Black bodies carrying histories three times our size. Our words will strip you raw till you glow like pennies, scraped of the memory of being owned. We are hope, howl the youth, those who aren't lost for words, but lost without them, that lettered pulse and heated evasion. Our writing is a stretched out baptism a type of yoked rebirth. 
We are the ones who know. Where there's smoke, there is a poet. Where there is a poet, there is a fire, bright as a bloodied blade. We will be here. We will be heard. Hark the poets in a long ring of resistance. We are brown as a plum pit and smooth as red river clay. Our color is no longer anatomy nor aesthetic, but an arsenal, holy, holy, and simply our own. When I was writing this, I was basically thinking more expansively about something that I frequently say, which is that tyrants fear the poet. And I was thinking about the placement of people of color, particularly young people of color, as necessary voices that I think need to be heard not only in the literary world, but in the world in general, and trying to write a poem that speaks to elevating those stories and those histories. I'm fighting for a world that is sustainable, um, not only for its present generations, but for the future lives that will be existing on the planet. I am fighting for a world that is fair and just as well. My name is Melina Kritikopoulos. I'm 17 and the world I'm fighting for does not judge one another for the people they love or the way they identify themselves. My name is Alexander Malagon. I'm 15 years old. The world I'm fighting for has equal opportunity and healthcare equity. I'm 19 years old. I'm from South Central Los Angeles and I'm an environmental justice activist. It started when I was nine years old when I realized that my neighbor was an oil well and I was growing up exactly 30 feet across the street from this well. I started realizing that many people in my community were getting sick, including myself. And personally, I had heart palpitations, body spasms so intense I had to be carried from one place to another, stomach pains, headaches. I developed asthma, that's something I'm always going to have to live with now, and the list goes on and on, and unfortunately it wasn't just me, but most of the people in my community, and I realized we had the power to do something, and we had the power to change our community. We started a grassroots campaign called People Not Pozos, People Not Wells, and I'm a very proud co-founder of that grassroots campaign, and we are fighting to permanently shut down Alango Energy's operations, and because of our community efforts, Alango Energy has been temporarily shut down for six years now, going on seven this November 22nd. The world I see right now is a world full of hope. It's people becoming more and more active, posting more and more on social media regarding activism and how people can get involved and educate themselves on issues that they're connected to, that they're inspired by, that they are interested in. The world I'm fighting for is a world where urban oil drilling is read about in books and they think it was ridiculous that it went on for so long. It's a world where nobody is being denied the right to breathe clean air, that everybody has access to this basic human right and everybody has access to safe drinking water. We all have the power to create change within our communities and it's 
so important that we all share our stories because your story can inspire somebody else to create a change and start a movement and then it'll become this domino effect and it's so powerful and it's so important that us youth are more and more active because we're the next generation, we're the next lawyers, scientists, doctors, presidents. I run for president in 2036, <laughs> thought I'd throw that in there. And it's so important that we become educated and we are open-minded and we're willing to have these difficult conversations to implement a change in our world because we hold the power. As I said when we first started this program, I needed to hear and feel what idealism and hope feels like. And I really got a dose of that from all of these wonderful, forward-thinking young people who are shaping the world we live in. I wish you all the best as we move forward for the rest of this year and into the new year. It's not going to be easy, but we're in this together. You know, we're also coming up on our last episode of the season, and we want to know what you want from us in season three. Just at me on Twitter, at Tanya Mosley, or Truth Be Told KQED. You can also drop us a line always at 415-553-2802. Truth Be Told is produced by Susie Racho, Issa Mendoza, and Katie McMurrin. KQED's leadership team includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. And a big thanks to Kiana Mogadam. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley. 